Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would call us into deeper discipleship with you so that we might become more like you. Lord, we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. In a book called Uncomfortable, and yes, I read books with the title Uncomfortable, uh, the, the author writes, anyone who has ever grown in a skill, a sport, an art form, a job, knows that growth doesn't come by way of comfort. Growth happens when we push ourselves outside of our comfort zone and allow our confidence and our assumptions to be shaken. Those unwilling to stay the uncomfortable course simply quit. These people are not the ones who win medals or create art of lasting significance. They are not the ones who build the church. No, the builders and changers of this world are the ones who put their comfort aside for the sake of something greater. Our author then goes on to extol the many benefits of the faith, but then comes back to the importance and even necessity of uncomfort. He writes, to be a disciple of Jesus is to deny oneself, to take up a cross, to be subject to persecution. It is to give up the creature comforts of home, to forsake the priority of family, to be willing to give up all material possessions, to be crucified with Christ. It is also to embrace the messiness of community, bearing with one another in love, bearing one another's burdens, and working for a seemingly impossible unity. And this is just the beginning. To be a community of Jesus followers is to trade a comfortable, me-centric existence for danger, difficulty, and discomfort of all sorts. But it's the best trade you could possibly make. As we think about that, on the one hand, this is obvious. That, that completely makes sense. And on the other hand, that's not how we normally view our faith. We don't normally see it as leading us away from comfort. We don't normally see it as something we need to work that hard at. We don't normally see it as that challenging. And yet maybe that would be a better way to understand the calling of a disciple. Because maybe this is what creates the space in our lives for God to be able to work not just in us, but through us. But while we think about that, let me back up for a moment. In our current sermon series, we are looking at the lifestyle Jesus leads in hopes that we can have a life more like His. As I read at the beginning of this series, we read the stories of Jesus, His joy, His resolute peace through uncertainty, His unanxious presence, His relaxed manner, and how in the moment He was, and we think, I want that life. We hear His open invite to life to the full and, and think, sign me up. We hear about His easy yoke and soul-deep rest and think, yes, I need that but then we're not willing to adopt his lifestyle. We want the life, 
but are too often unwilling to adopt the lifestyle. And so in this series, we're, we're taking a deeper look at that lifestyle. More specifically, the disciplines that Jesus practices as part of that lifestyle. Alas, for too many of us, there's just no room in most of our lives to add anything else. And so we hear that word discipline and we think, that sounds great, but, it, but our lives are just too full. They're too stuffed. They're too busy. Sure, sure, I'd love to pray more or study more or serve more, but my life is so full, so stressful, so loud, so chaotic that those things just get pushed aside, forgotten, drowned out. They just don't fit on the calendar. And so we don't do them. But there is another type of discipline. Dallas Willard calls these disciplines of abstinence, where instead of adding something into our life, we take something away. So we think of silence. We take some of the noise and talking away. Solitude. We take some of the people away. Fasting. We take some of the food away. Simplicity. We take some of the stuff away. Because the reality is our real challenge might be that our lives have simply become a little bit too cluttered, too crowded, too comfortable. And maybe these are the disciplines that actually would help us enter into the lifestyle of Jesus better. And so during this series, we are looking at these disciplines and then also some of the disciplines of engagement too. Sometimes these get even paired together. Sometimes you'll see fasting with prayer. You'll see sacrifice with worship. You'll see solitude with study. Other times you'll see different combinations. And so we've been focusing on mostly these disciplines of taking away and then a little bit of something you might try adding as well. With all that as the background, we are finally able to turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then He said to them all, Whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when He comes in His glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about His departure, which He was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw His glory and the two men standing with Him. 
As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what he meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. Amen. Okay, as we go back through this passage, we see that it starts with Jesus giving some very tough teachings. He tells them that disciples deny themselves. Disciples take up their cross. Disciples follow Jesus. Because, of course, in in trying to save ourselves, we can wind up losing ourselves. Or as we try and gain the whole world, we can end up forfeiting our very souls. In other words, sometimes maybe our endless pursuit of more actually ends up choking off the very life that we're trying to find. From, From there, Jesus heads up a mountain to pray. Harkening back to last week, this is the pattern, and we see it over and over and over again in Jesus' life. He gets away in order to pray. While he's up on the mountain, he's transfigured, he's transformed. His heavenly glory just bursts through. And we may even get a glimpse of God's kingdom breaking forth in our midst. It's worth pondering. I wonder if this is the reality that Jesus sees all the time, even though for the disciples it's but a glimpse. Again, like last week, we see God the Father bursts forth in not just glory, but love. This is my Son. Listen to Him. 
Upon coming down the mountain, Jesus enters right back into the fray. There's a crowd, there's a man yelling, there's a possessed boy. And Jesus just re-engages and heals the boy. And since this is the same story that's told in another gospel, Jesus also mentions that that kind of spirit can only come out by prayer. Again, just connecting these disciplines all over the life of Jesus. It's also helpful to notice that the result of this miracle is not that the crowd is amazed at the greatness of Jesus. It's that the crowd is amazed at the greatness of God. Theologically, not that those are different, but it's interesting that everything Jesus does points people back towards God. Jesus follows up the miracle by telling the disciples he's going to be sacrificed. Frustratingly, our passage ends moments later with, not them, with them not just not, not understanding, but then arguing about which of them will be the greatest. How Jesus doesn't get more exasperated and annoyed by the disciples, we will never know. But my suspicion is it's love, and my suspicion is it's the same reason he doesn't get overly exasperated or annoyed by us. Also, just in trying to understand this last part, it's helpful to remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. There's a good chance these disciples were young teenage boys or so, and so an argument about who the greatest is was probably just par for the course. It's that or who's going to be king of the mountain. It's one or the other, but that's just a constant game that I think was played from the beginning of time, so it's not actually as shocking as we probably would like it to be. That being said, we also keep playing the same games still. All of that being said, let's take a look at the disciplines. And to do that today, we may need to take a bigger step back, almost like today's an overview or an interlude, because I want us to have a deeper understanding of what we're actually talking about in this series, especially when we talk about these disciplines of abstinence. So today, I want us to look at why it is so important for us to deny ourselves. And part of the answer is going to be that it helps us become more aware of and awake towards God. And part of the answer is that it helps us to follow Jesus better. Because the problem in most of our lives is that we have filled our lives with so much stuff and self that there's simply no room left for God. But therefore, maybe we need to practice some of these disciplines in order to strip out some of that extra clutter and comfort in order for us to experience God in our lives more. And so we get started with kind of the bookends of this passage as we look at these harder teachings of Jesus. Specifically, Jesus tells us to deny ourselves... And at the end, to not strive to be the greatest. It strikes me that for most of us, this needs to simply start with the practice of living with less. And I'm not kidding when I say I think this is one of the harder teachings for us in the Scriptures. This means choosing to say no. Choosing to go without, choosing to be hungry, choosing to be quiet, choosing to not hit by every time. 
choosing to not follow the crowd, choosing to not fit in, choosing to not hurry, choosing to not be comfortable. Sometimes these are things we do for a season, and other times these become more permanent. These, this becomes a lifestyle. The choice to deny yourself. In other words, this is a discipline that we use to practice our faith and build up our, our following muscles, as it were, so that we can be faithful to God when He calls. But we have to learn, especially in our world today, to deny ourselves better. Now notice, like with all of the disciplines we've been talking about, the goal is not just to deny ourselves for the sake of denying ourselves, but it's to deny ourselves for the sake of God. To deny ourselves to make room for God. To deny ourselves to be with God and focus on God, and listen to God better, to become more alert to God's presence. Again, if there's too much clutter in our lives, we may have to strip out some of that clutter in order to find God again. It's not that God's not there. It's that it's, He's hard to hear sometimes because of all the noise. He's hard to see sometimes because of all the stuff. He's hard to attend to because of all the different distractions we have. What's more, this kind of going without reminds us that we need God more than whatever it is that we're going without. And so when we go without an afternoon snack, fasting light. Despite what our overfed stomachs are telling us, we remember and spend time reflecting on the fact that we actually need God more than that little bit of food that would bring us a little bit more comfort. I actually need God more than what my tummy is telling me that I need. When I don't hit by, I'm reminding myself that I actually need God more than this new thing that I think will make me happy, that will bring my life infinite joy. Actually, God will bring that more than whatever it is I'm about to buy. When I choose to not just be comfortable, I am reminded that, that more God is going to be the only thing that satisfies, not just more comfort. Because the reality is, if we're always comfortable, it's easy to forget how much we need God. And I think this is one of the dangers we live with. If we are always comfortable, what do we need God for? Which is why we need this discipline. Because as we deny ourselves, we relearn to rely on God. We relearn that we don't need to be the greatest. We aren't the greatest. God is. 
Now, to be fair, most of us don't always see ourselves as trying to be the greatest. That seems, I mean, you're not supposed to do that at least. And so I don't think that's something we, we struggle with. And yet we do like all the perks of being the greatest, don't we? I mean, I don't need to be the greatest as long as I have the same comfort and security and happiness and popularity. And as long as I get my own way, I don't need to be the greatest. I just need to have all the stuff that they have. And yet Jesus tells us we're getting it backwards. God still wants us to be great at who He's made us to be and what He's called us to do. But it's for Him. It's, it's to Him. It's learning to find our greatness in Him, not in what we have. Which means we have to make ourselves less. Focus on ourselves less. Be comfortable with less. Which brings us to the middle of our passage as we return to the transfiguration. In this part of the passage, the disciples seem to catch a glimpse of the presence of the kingdom of God in the life of Jesus and the world around them. In some ways, they get, they get to peek behind the curtain a little bit towards the more true reality in our midst, even though we all remain so unaware. And in this part of the passage, we see some of these disciplines all start to work together again. Jesus takes three of them up a mountain to pray, and we see an echo of a bunch of the disciplines that we've already been looking at, solitude and silence and simplicity and denial and prayer. There's a reason you go up a mountain by yourselves to pray. Jesus leads them away to help them reconnect with God. And as is too often the case for us, they get sleepy. But as the true kingdom is revealed before them and Jesus in all His glory becomes visible, our passage says the disciples were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw His glory. I love that. They were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw His glory. You see, their eyes had been closed, and then their eyes were opened. In other words, when all of the clutter is removed, when all of the comfort is removed, when all of the distractions are removed, there's a chance that you can become more awake, more alert, more aware of God being here. Peter, always one prone towards words and actions, starts noticing that things are starting to wind down. And so he offers to try and find a way to kind of extend this time out. I could make booths. We can do tents. I, let me start setting stuff up. It's not making a lot of sense, but he's Peter. It's one of his struggles. And in an amazing piece of detail, our author tells us that while he was still speaking, God just shows up and tells them, listen to Jesus. In other words, Peter, stop talking. Listen. Because, of course, sometimes in all of our noise and all of our talking, we forget to listen to God too. Or worse still, we're unable to hear. And so God enters in and points everyone towards Jesus. 
But of course, even then they're struggling. Toward the end of the passage, Jesus tells them, listen carefully. And he tells them about his coming sacrifice and they don't understand and they're too afraid to ask. All throughout this passage, we find the disciples are struggling with eyes and ears and minds that want to stay closed. And yet all throughout this passage, Jesus seems like he's trying to create opportunities for them to be more open to who he is and what he's doing. I wonder about us. Do we need to be awakened? Are our eyes closed? Are our ears closed? Are our minds closed? And is Jesus trying to awaken us that we might also experience His glory? That we might also experience the kingdom of God in our midst? I'm reminded of some words from the 12th step of AA. When a man or woman has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that he has now become able to do feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He's been granted a gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness and being. He has been set on a path which tells him he is really going somewhere, that life is not a dead end, not something to be endured or mastered. In a very real sense, he has been transformed. It strikes me that the disciples experience some of that on the mountain as they experience God in a new way and are transformed. Which brings us at last to why all of this is so important. Because the reality is it's awfully hard to follow someone if we can't or won't see them. If we can't or won't hear them, if we can't or won't understand them. Maybe more to the point, if we're not willing to be uncomfortable, then we're not willing to follow Jesus. Because sometimes Jesus may call us to do something uncomfortable. If we're unwilling to deny ourselves in the little things, then we won't be able to follow Jesus if He leads us away from ourselves or from what we want or from our own comfort. We'll especially have trouble if Jesus calls us to pick up a cross. This is why this is so hard and this is why it's so important. Because Jesus may call us to follow in places and ways that are uncomfortable. And so if we aren't used to denying ourselves, then that's going to be even harder than it would be before. If we're not willing to deny ourselves, then there's no way that we're going to be able to serve a stranger. If we're not used to denying ourselves, there's no way we're going to be able to love the unlovable. It just won't happen. If we're not used to denying ourselves, we, we won't be able to absolve the aggressor. If we're not used to denying ourselves, there's no way for us to give enough that we might heal someone who's hurting. If we're not used to being 
to denying ourselves, there's no way for us to be changed. Because change is uncomfortable. At the end of the day, this may be our biggest challenge to discipleship and faith. We don't want to deny ourselves. And yet, sometimes this is the calling of Jesus. What's more, it's what was modeled by Jesus. What's more, it may be how we are transformed by Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, you know how hard it is for us to be your disciples. Because it's not just hard for us to follow, but it's hard for us to be uncomfortable. It's hard for us to deny ourselves. And yet sometimes that is what you call us to. That's the discipline you invite us to live out. And so, Lord, even now we pray that you would inflame our imaginations, that we might find ways to go without so that we might experience more of you. That we might find ways that we can say no to something so we can say yes to you. So that we might find ways to leave what's so comfortable so that we can find our comfort ultimately in who you are, in what you are doing, and how you are at work. Lord, we pray today again that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. Help us be better disciples. We pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.